Hello there, hello there, how are you? Welcome to Monday's Richie Allen Radio Show, February the 5th, 2024. Hope you had a nice weekend, as always. Reach out to me during the programme via the app for the show. There's an app, or go to richieallen.co.uk, where it says comment live. Uncensored, unfiltered, you're listening to Richie Allen on the world's most popular independent news radio show. It's the Richie Allen Show, broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. Now, searchgoodbooks.com is a very interesting organization. It um, seeks out books for children, right? The organization started to look into finding appropriate books for children to read of all ages because when they tried to get good books for children, they found that many of today's books were simply not worth reading. Now, to speak about this, which I think is a very important subject, we'll be joined this hour by Fatini Hamplova. Now, she's got a BA in Education and Society and a PhD in Philosophy of Education. You don't want to miss her, Fatini Hamplova. She's a reviewer. She looks for, seeks for, looks out for really good books for children. We'll talk about that this hour. And a little bit later on in the programme, you might be aware of this, you might not be, but back in December, a pair of Senate Republicans filed legislation that would reinstate airline pilots who were fired for refusing to take the COVID-19 vaccine. Now, the bill by Senators Mike Braun of Indiana and Roger Marshall of Kansas is very interesting to Captain Bahij Saliba. You don't want to miss him. He's a vastly experienced pilot, planes and helicopters, and he fell foul of the authorities even himself during the COVID pandemic back in 2020-2021. And he is educating pilots. He's also taking his own legal action against his former employer because uh, he effectively lost his livelihood. Uh, did Captain Bahij because he wouldn't put up with it. So it's going to be a good programme, I think, today. I hope it is. And Well, you'll be the judge of it, won't you? As I said, I, I welcome you to the show. Do have your say via the website, via the app. Download the app wherever you get your apps for your phones. Look for the Richie Allen Show. Richie Allen Entertainment, it comes under. Right, yeah. Yeah, right. I hear you cry. But it comes under entertainment. I had nothing to do with that. Should be news in politics, but anyway. Anyway, what's there to talk about now for the next uh, half an hour? Well, there's quite a bit to talk about as it happens. As there always is. You might be aware a nationwide hunt for a man suspected of attacking a woman and her two daughters with an alkaline substance in London last week is continuing. They seek him here. They seek him there. They can't find this guy anywhere. Abdul Shakur Ezidi or Ezidi. And um, it was panic stations in Manchester Saturday night because police surrounded a train pulling into Piccadilly Station from Sheffield after a tip, which turned out to be incorrect, that he was on that particular train. What he did was pretty awful. And you probably, unless you've been sleeping under a rock, you will be aware that their alarm has been expressed surrounding the fact that this guy was granted asylum in this country after he had been convicted of a sexual offence. So all of this is going on. But the guy is still on the run. He's probably in Ireland. I'm only joking. He's not in Ireland. As CCTV images of him 
leaving a London underground station two hours after the attack took place last week. And it looks like the guy has a significant injury to his face. Uh, The police are offering £20,000 for information about his whereabouts. I'd sell the missus to a harem for twenty grand. No, I wouldn't. I'd take far less than that. Boom, boom. I wouldn't, by the way, just in case you're, you're wondering. But, uh, yeah, he's still at large, the fugitive. He's not exactly Dr. Richard Kimball, but he's out there somewhere. So keep an eye out for him. Might be worth 20 grand. Nothing to be sniffed at in these days of austerity and cost-of-living crisis. There's another XL bully story in the news. This isn't funny either. Uh, Esther Martin, 68, God lover, was fatally injured in a house in Jaywick near Clacton-on-Sea in Essex on Saturday afternoon. She was attacked by dogs. Apparently she was trying to prevent two pups fighting and had intervened with a broom. And then the adult dogs seemingly attacked her. The dogs have been destroyed. A man was arrested. His name is Ashley Warren, 39, on suspicion of dangerous dog offences. So the media is obviously full of uh, XL Bully stories today. Did you see the state of Ashley Warren, this guy who owned the dogs, uh, the wannabe gangster? who owned the XL Bullies. Did you see the absolute cut of him? Exactly the type of cretin you see with an XL Bully around Salford. You know, fake tough guy. And I, I as a dog owner, well, I'm, I'm reluctant to say dog owner. It feels like they own us, right? But as a dog minder, or as somebody who shares his life with dogs, as I do and my missus do, I'm of the opinion that it's the owner, not the dog. So I wouldn't be banning breeds, even though the bullies are they're a bit scary, they're so big. But um, the, the point I'm making is, the type of cretin, when you see, when you read about an XL bully attack gone bad, and then you see a photograph of the owner, it's usually a complete cretin wannabe gangster, isn't it? Somebody who, I mean, I probably know more about quantum physics than some of these morons know about taking care of dogs and raising them. And I know nothing about quantum physics, by the way. Here's an interesting story. Um, How's your free speech, how's your free speech um, credentials? Do you believe fastidiously, do you believe in free speech absolute? Are you a free speech absolutist? Do you believe that even those with whom you most vehemently disagree on things, should be entitled to say what it is they believe. Well, I do, of course, believe that, even though I am the most opposed when it comes to politics or anything, they should never be prevented from saying what it is they choose to say. Um, Obviously, promoting violence, that notwithstanding, we don't put, put up with that. But whatever their opinions are, They shouldn't, you know, be targeted for that. They shouldn't lose their job. They shouldn't be cancelled. Anyway, this is interesting. I don't have any time for Douglas Murray. That's a nice way of putting that. Uh, A theatre in central London cancelled Douglas Murray. Now, they call him a journalist, but he's anything but, right? So he put on a pro-Israel event to raise money for soldiers, for Israeli soldiers. And on Sunday, it was cancelled or nearly cancelled after employees refused to work due to outside pressure. Staff at the Apollo Theatre backed out of working the public event on Sunday after receiving threats via email. Now, the threatening via the email is pathetic, it's cowardly, it's awful, and the venue, 
and the staff. Yeah, I can understand the staff, maybe. I mean, why take a chance, you know? There are so many nutters around, maybe. But um, it's a shame that the event didn't go ahead where it was supposed to go ahead. It was moved to another location, a more secret location. Why would you want to be raising money for Israeli soldiers? Well, that's anybody's guess. Obviously, right? I have no time for any of that. But I don't like somebody, you know, having to... I'd be a hypocrite. Remember, six, whatever it was, years ago, Manchester United, on the day that David Icke, the author, was due to speak at Old Trafford, cancelled him on the day because a Labour MP contacted Manchester United and said he shouldn't be heard. And myself and Paul Ripley frantically phoned everybody we knew in Manchester and eventually the Bowlers Exhibition Centre came through for us and we were able to uh, make sure the event went ahead. So I'd be a hypocrite if I found it funny or took any pleasure whatsoever in Douglas Murray's event having to move. It's disgraceful. It should never happen. Whatever I think of Murray's opinions. Anyway, he went on Julia Hartley Brewer's programme on Talk Radio today to lament the fact that, uh, in his opinion, Britain is overrun by Islamists and, and all the rest of it. Have a listen to this. It's another one of these very rare, but I think very valuable. My tongue is in my cheek now. I'm joking. Um, a Richie Allen lesson in how to present radio shows. And the most important thing when interviewing somebody, even if you completely disagree with them, is to interject and say, well, there is another point of view. What about this? What say you? Interject, ask questions, challenge, even, most importantly, when you agree with them. Listen to this guy, Murray, and you and I will interject at all of the at all of the junctures that Julia Hartley Brewer decided not to interject, okay? I don't know why we have given in to Islamists and terrorists. I don't know. You'd stop them right there. You'd say, what do you mean, Douglas? Give us an example of how we in Britain have given in to Islamists and terrorists. She doesn't. I don't know why we've done it. Why is it that Saturday after Saturday, people parade through the streets of London, calling for jihad, praising Hamas. I'll stop you right there, Douglas. Isn't it fair to say that hundreds of thousands of people have protested in support of the Palestinians and that by the Metropolitan Police's own um, notes and their own reports, their own logs, it's only been a handful of idiots calling for jihad. It's not fair now to categorise everybody who went on the protests as some jihad-loving pro-Islamists, is it, Douglas? That's all you have to do, dear listener. Praising terrorists and clambering over and defiling our sacred war monuments. Why do they get to do that every Saturday? But I can't speak in a theatre on Shaftesbury Avenue uh, to a packed theatre, mainly of Jews. Why well, well, I agree with you there, Douglas. You should be able to speak to a theatre, mainly Jews. You should be able to raise money for the Israeli soldiers, if you like. I completely agree with you. I have no problem with that. But again, I'll take issue with you labelling all of these protesters as terrorist supporters. That's a nonsense, man. You know, that is a nonsense. They're protesting what they believe, rightly or wrongly, but what they believe to be genocide in Gaza. Are they not entitled to their opinions, Douglas, just as you are and your Jewish friends when you go and raise money in a theatre? That's all she has to do, Brewer. Why is it that if you call for violence... She doesn't say a thing, though. 
attacks against Jews day after day on the streets of London. That's A-OK. Stop you right there, Douglas. I haven't seen any images, I haven't seen any videos of people calling for violence against Jews on the streets of London. I just haven't. Now, if you show me some, I'll condemn it. But there are no videos in circulation where you can see people in groups calling for violence against Jews. I'd like to see some evidence. Please, Douglas. With the Metropolitan Police. But if Jews want to congregate in central London, apparently it's not OK. And we'll have... To well, Jews congregate in central London pretty much every Saturday. You know, and Jews congregate in central London at other times as well. It seems here like a few emails were sent to the venue, the staff were told about it, and they thought, you know what, this is not my fight, I'd rather not work. To retreat to another venue. I'm not a victim here. And you sound like one. And I'm not claiming any victimhood. I don't believe in that. I don't care. I'm not going to shut up. I'll continue speaking. This is my country. My hero. London is my city. And I expect to be able to do what I want in my city. But why is it that we have Hamas supporters? She hasn't said a word now, Brewer. Porters and all these others who defile our monuments, defile our country, hate our countries, literally spit on our country. Who, who are you talking about that hates the country and spits on the country? Again, hundreds of thousands right across the country, Manchester, Birmingham, Bradford, Liverpool, Leeds, London, Coventry, have come out because they don't like to see the Palestinian people penned into Gaza and bombed to pieces from the sky. And that's what they came out against. Not to support Hamas or October 7th or any of that. See, this is all Brewer has to do. Come on, Douglas, you're going a bit over the top there, really, aren't you? It's unfair. A lot of those protesters, they just don't like violence. Country. She says nothing. Week after week. But you're not allowed to show solidarity with the Jews or yeah. with Israel. It's a yes, it's Brewer. What do you mean you're not allowed to show solidarity with the Jews or Israel? Every member of parliament, this is unfair. I, I don't know this to be true. Most members of Parliament, most Labour MPs, most Conservative MPs are signed up to either the Conservative Friends of Israel or the Labour Friends of Israel. There's even a Liberal Democrat Friends of Israel. The broadsheet media, with the exception of The Guardian, kind of, is completely supportive of the State of Israel. Where's this anti-Jewishness that he's talking about? Again, Brewer should be challenging this. There isn't any. You know, and you, you, what we've seen in recent days is we've seen BBC employees get fired for liking tweets and stuff like that. So if anything, there is a real free speech problem in this country. But it's more, at the moment, it seems to be very heavily weighted against anybody who criticises Israel and supports the Palestinians. You see, even if Brewer agrees, I've no problem with Brewer agreeing with Douglas Murray. None. None whatsoever. And you know this because you've heard me interview, you know, people who really do not like um, Israel and, and people who really do not like Zionists. You've heard Gilad Atzman, you know, one of the most critical, um, one, of, one of the most, one of the Israelis who's the most critical um, artists or people about his state. He's accused me of sounding like the IDF when I've interviewed him. Kevin Barrett, the same. Even if you agree with the, the person you're interviewing, get stuck in. Make it more interesting. Despicable situation. And I'll just leave it there because he goes on and on and on. And Julia Hartley Brewer gets the Texaco Journalist of the Week Award. Years ago when you, when you went to Texaco in Ireland, you could get a nodding dog for the back seat of your car. For the back windscreen. If you bought enough, if you bought enough diesel or petrol, and you got enough stamps in your little book, nodding dogs would do better than Julia Hartley Brewer. That is 
cretinous. That is so lost with all hands, which means sunk, absolute sunk journalism. At least jump in there. But you see, it's not just Brewer. It is almost now the entirety of the media now. The media, the mainstream media and the independent media is pretty much the same, let's be honest about it. Two people, a presenter and a guest, sitting there agreeing with with each other for a half an hour. God, it's boring, isn't it? 16 minutes past the hour. God, it's terribly boring. It's really boring, isn't it? It's also very unhelpful. Uh, this is the Richie Allen Show. I'm already behind. Let's quickly move to Ireland. Interesting news out of Ireland this morning. RTE Morning Ireland. I think Mary. I think Mary is in the presenter hot seat. And it's a story about those pesky anti-asylum far-right people, which apparently are running rampant in Ireland. They're everywhere. Um, setting fire to buildings that have been, that have been reconvened, no, that have been purposed, repurposed for the uh, placing of asylum seekers. Listen to the presenter. The Minister for Justice, Helen McEntee, has said she's appalled at what she called an attack on a former nursing home which went on fire yesterday morning at Crookslink near Britis in Dublin. Taoiseach Leo Varadkar said he's very concerned about the incident. Gardaí have appointed a senior officer to carry out an investigation into what happened. It's the latest suspected arson attack on a site linked to the housing of asylum seekers in Ireland. A protest has been held at the site in recent times after rumours surfaced that the property was being assessed for emergency accommodation. The Department of Integration confirmed the assessment but said it had not yet been deemed suitable and had not been contracted. Right. I'm supposed to jump in now. So she, I was uh, replying to a message. She then introduces a South Dublin councillor. And this guy, I want you to, let's play a little game. I'm going to issue bingo cards. From now on in, I'll, I'll print, I'll put a bingo card on the website that you can print out. And it'll be about, the bingo card will all be about, it'll be far right bingo. Let's see how quickly the guest the political guest refers to the far right. We can make bets, we can play bingo, or we'll just have a sweepstake or something. Sweepstake, I think, is the best way to put it. So let's hear the guest then. She'll introduce him now. We can talk now to South Dublin Socialist Party Solidarity County Councillor. What? Socialist Party Solidarity County Councillor. Kieran Mann and you're Kieran Mann. Very welcome to Studio Councillor. Thank you for talking to us. What's your own reaction to what is now a suspected arson attack at this former nursing home near British? Where do we see now how quickly he gets the far right? Okay, so I'm going to count, right? You ready? You ready? You ready? One, one thousand. Well, I think it's, two, a, it's, a, it's a horrific action by a three, small minority of people 1, who are very clearly four, identified with far-right groups. Far-right groups. Four, four and a half seconds. Uh, and are trying to organise around the housing crisis and the issue of immigration to uh, drive their own agenda, which ultimately is not an agenda that can resolve the housing issues or the cost of living crisis facing working class communities across the state. But that's your agenda. Um, of course, their agenda. They can't do anything about it unless you do something about it. Surely the agenda of the protesters is to kick you in the arse or light a fire under you so that you'll do something about it, maybe. I've never heard such nonsense in all my life. Thankfully, on this occasion, they targeted an empty site. Uh, previously, there have been attacks on hotels and buildings that did contain people, women and children, uh, with threats to burn them out, send them home. Uh, that could have really been damaging. So was it's absolutely to be condemned. The politics behind it also need to be condemned. The motivations behind it need to be condemned. 
And uh, what, what, and uh, what do you mean that motivations behind it need to be condemned? That um, Ireland is on its arse? That successive governments in the country have cut and cut and cut services right across the board in every sector, right? Leaving towns and villages and cities completely starved of vital public services. And then you start opening the door to everybody and anybody who wants to come in. God, they're, they're crazy, these far-right people. The escalating actions and trend that's developing amongst this small group of people needs to be uh, stamped out and defeated politically. Stamped out and defeated politically, says the Gombean. Gombean man from South Dublin County Council, the Socialist Solidarity, whatever he's bloody called. I, I had some more from him, but we're going to leave it because it's um, time is against me. It's 20 minutes past the hour of... Four o'clock, it is uh, the 5th of February 2024. There is an app for the programme. Love to hear from you today. Reach out to me. Uh, hello to Alexandra. Good evening. Good evening to Paul Westthorpe. Hello, Paul. Paul is a Rottweiler, 15 months old. She's beautiful, Richie. Loves humans, loves her humans, and plays with other dogs. I believe it's a very rare bad dog. Bad dogs are a rare thing, mainly the wrong people having, as the dog says. Paul, Paul's referring to the XL bully story. Thanks, Paul. Lewis says, Douglas Murray tweeting in Hebrew, victory to Israel. What a shield, says Lewis, works for the Henry Jackson organization's neocon outfit, says Lewis. He might do, Lewis, but he might also be sincere in his beliefs. I completely disagree with him, but he might be sincere in his belief. And he should be able to, unmolested, he should be able to speak at a venue, wherever he likes, without that event being called off because people threaten the venue. I find that utterly abhorrent and terrifying. Kay got the four seconds. Well done, Kay. Four seconds on the money. Far right. The blasted, drasted, dreadful far right in Ireland. What are they going to do? Speaking of asylum seekers, you might have come across this today. 40 asylum seekers. And I, I have great sympathy with asylum seekers, you see. Because nothing is black um, and white. Absolutely no pun intended. Nothing is simple or simplistic. You know, I'm an old trade unionist, as you well know. You know, the governments of our countries have bombed, have maimed, have killed, have starved in the Middle East over the last 50, 60, 70 years. And sometimes you kind of reap what you sow. So I understand people moving out of countries that have been devastated by war, wars funded by the usual suspects, right, again, the US, again, right, the France, the UK, the usual gangsters. So I, I have to sympathise with this. So it's a complex issue. But this is an interesting one. 40 asylum seekers on the Bibby Stockholm, which is docked in Dorset, which seems to be a terrible place for people to be, by the way. Uh, it really does. Somebody committed suicide there. There was an outbreak of Legionnaire's disease. It's a dreadful place to keep people, in my opinion, okay? Whatever you might think about immigration and how devastating it is for working people, which it is, and I totally agree with this, okay? The numbers are crazy. You know this. You know I believe this. But uh, people are people. And these agendas are not the agendas of, of, of these people. They're as much victims as everybody else, I believe, or as anybody else. Anyway, the Home Secretary is going to look into the circumstances as to how 40 people on the Bibi Stockholm have converted to Christianity. Now, presumably, these people, God love them, are thinking, well, if we convert to Christianity, it might make the removal, it might make our removal back to our country of origin difficult because we could claim as newly converted Christians 
We can't go back there because they'll kill us. Now, A.N. Wilson, the uh, the writer, uh, both um, of books and, of course, in the print media, A.N. Wilson, speaking about this on Times Radio Today, had an interesting comment. Your religious allegiance is neither here nor there. Whether you're a whirling dervish, an Anglican, a Roman Catholic, doesn't matter. That's just removed from the system. And if you become a, a, a Christian by baptism in this country, you know that you're taking a risk if you want to then return or, or if you're sent back to a country which persecutes Christians, you know you are going to join the great company of martyrs, basically, which is, after all, for Christians, the greatest honour that you can possibly have. But it's an easy thing for me to sit in a studio and say. Yeah. I like that. That did make me chuckle when A.N. Wilson said, Be, being martyr for Christianity is about the greatest honour a Christian should have. So if some young man, let's call him Salah, and he's from a Middle Eastern country, and he's on the Bibby Stockholm, which must be a terrible place, right? And he says, um, I'm, I'm Christian, you can't send me back there. Listen, Salah, it's a guaranteed pass into heaven. If you go back there, declare yourself to be a Christian, after they've lopped your head off straight through the pearly gates, son, we're not granting you asylum, off you go, on your bike maybe, I don't know. It's uh, 25 minutes past the hour. Um, Davy's listening. He's in County Down, which has two hotels, he says, which have been given over to immigrants. So now they are populated, these hotels, by immigrants. A long-established nursing home is has been, been taken over to house more immigrants. The residents were shipped out to other nursing homes, some of them well away from the town, says Davy. Is that right, Davy? Can you send me? More details on that so I can look into it. I'm hardly calling you a lawyer. But even the useless media might kick up a fuss about that if it's absolutely true. So an established nursing home has been basically taken over, you're saying, to facilitate more migrants. The nursing home was active. It was a viable business. And you, you tell me they've shipped them out to other nursing homes, some of them well away from... Well, surely the relatives of these people in the nursing home would, would have something to say about it. Let me know, Davy. I'm fascinated. Uh, you're with The Richie Allen Show. This programme, today, Monday, is brought to you by Nutrahealth365.com. Joint support. Check it out. If you suffer from joint pain or inflammation, you have probably heard of the benefits of turmeric. But did you know that the active ingredient is curcumin? NutraHealth 365's Joint Health Supplement is specially formulated to reduce the pain caused by joint inflammation, especially during the cold months. Joint Health contains a substantial amount of the active ingredient curcumin, as well as a black pepper extract piperine, to substantially increase its bioavailability and thereby reaching your inflamed area faster. If the cold weather is making your symptoms worse and you want relief, Go to NutraHealth365.com and see how our joint health supplement may help reduce inflammation and discomfort. That's NutraHealth365.com with free two-day tract delivery. Now, Monday's programme, Paul is in North East Scotland. Hi, Paul. Richie, I was watching a live protest in Dublin earlier. Thousands on the streets in Dublin, while a few of the migrants were also on the streets. Thanks, Paul. Jean-Anne Crowley has been keeping me informed 
about uh, what's going on in Dublin. Yeah, lots of people from lots of different backgrounds taking to the streets of Dublin to say, come on, our immigration policy, our migration policy in Ireland, say the protesters, is tantamount to insanity. Jean-Anne tells me, lots of middle-class, middle-aged people, some elderly people there in a large crowd, as Paul says. Okay, it's time to line up our first guest. I'm looking forward to speaking with her. She's a really interesting lady, and her organisation, I think, is very, very interesting indeed. Sourcing appropriate books for children of all ages, reviewing them, and then giving that information to parents. We'll talk about it. And later on, Captain Bahij Saliba will be on the programme, and he suffered, this man did, along with a lot of other pilots, uh, during the height of the COVID thing, when he was basically forced off of a plane because he wouldn't wear a mask. Could you believe it? And some of our listeners will know all about Captain uh, Saliba. Right, music now. Our first guest is next. It is Monday's Richie Allen Show with me, Richie Allen. And it's always an absolute pleasure to be with you. Keep uh, the messages and the opinions coming in, please. Music then from OMC, that's how bizarre. Uh, The time is 29 and a half minutes to the top of the hour. Monday's Richie Allen Show. Massive interest in the Douglas Murray story, but also in the XL uh, bully story. I have to say, I haven't seen many around. I live in the heart of working class and a proud working class lad I am, Salford. I haven't seen many around of late. I saw a lot of them last year and the year before. I don't know. More of those comments to come um, a bit later on. Keep them coming in. This is hugely interesting. Let me read you from the website searchgoodbooks.com. Do check it out, searchgoodbooks.com. Books are everywhere these days. Thousands of books are being published for children and young people every year. These are promoted everywhere in libraries, schools, bookstores and digitally. However, when we tried to get books for our children to read, we found that many of these books were not worth reading. We started to feel that this mass of publications was creating so much noise that it was becoming harder for families to find the good books. It feels as if all the quality literature has gotten mixed up with and buried under the endless pile of not that great books. And this interested me then. Um, We realised that adults who want to buy a book for a child might struggle to work out which books are worth getting, navigating all the books available and identifying the ones that will profit their reader is no easy task. We do not want children, we feel this is a serious problem, we do not want children to waste their time reading mundane books or be exposed to harmful books. Even more, we don't want children to miss out on the opportunity of reading and enjoying quality literature. And I was browsing the books today, the the books, the recommended books on searchgoodbooks.com, they really look interesting and very well written and very well very well put together. The reviewer of these books is a a lady who holds a BA Honours in Education and Society. She has a PhD in Philosophy of Education as well. She is a lecturer. Let's welcome to the programme Fatini Hamplova. Hello Fatini, how are you? Hello Richie, I'm very well, thank you. Now if I mispronounced your your name, give me a kick in the backside Um, and tell me. Did I mispronounce Fatini? Slightly, but everyone does, so that's okay, I'm used to that. How, how should I pronounce but, uh, it? It's Fodini, but Fodini will do. Fodini. But one correction is I'm, I'm not a lecturer. I was at the university, but I've been home with my children since I've had them. Oh, you, that, and I wanted to talk about this too. Thank you. I've made a note of this, of the homeschooling. So, um, 
what 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 started? What what was the idea? What was the catalyst for the creation of searchgoodbooks.com? Was there a specific did something happen in in education? Was there was it um, a kind of a process or was there one specific book or one specific incident that led to the setting up of the website? I think it, I think what you read um, covers a lot of it. It's just that I started making this list or looking for these books for my own children. And it became obvious that this was basically a full-time job and that it's not possible for other parents to do it so that I might as well make it public and share it uh, with other parents. What happens then in children's literature if so many books were being published that were mundane or unsuitable or in some cases harmful? Was this a gradual thing, do you think, or was it something that happened quite quickly? Um, well, I can't pretend to be an expert on that. I can only tell you sort of what I see. Uh, I think there's a combination of things going on. I think... Uh, people are getting lazy. Our society is generally uh, embracing the mediocre, if you like, much more than than used to be in the past. We don't look towards uh, the best anymore. We don't. The society generally doesn't believe in truth, and so therefore, there's no sort of big motivation to to go for great things. I think in the same way. And then, obviously, we have quite a lot of um, new or maybe not new, but ideological ideas that are becoming a lot more uh, widespread. Um, there's actually a, another lady called Kiri Jorgensen. She made the, she has a publishing house similar to me. She's trying to solve the same problem called Chicken Scratch Books. And she's written quite a few articles about why the libraries and the bookstores and the publishing industry has uh, in, intentionally moved in these directions. Um, and she, she, she's written some good articles about that. She's much more of an expert on that. I can only just tell you what I see. Um, and I just, I'm not sure why, but you can see that all of the books sort of, the majority of the books that we find are either full of untruths or they're very ideological. But also, like you said, the other problem with them is that they can be overly casual. And so their, their content is fundamentally boring. Um, and, and not stimulating is, for 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 the youngster that's that's who who might be reading them. This is fascinating. And when when you said you know society is not so interested in truth anymore, um, do you see or have you seen in a pattern emerging in children's books where ideas are being presented as factual when they're not really? They're contentious. Is that a problem? Well, yes, it's definitely a problem. I Well, okay, I see. If you want to analyze sort of the problem with the existing books, I think the first thing we should do is, is say something about what's specific about childhood and so what's an appropriate book for children. And then I think that makes it a lot easier to, to understand what the problem is. Let's do that so, then. Uh, let's uh, yeah, absolutely. This is, and we've got time. We've got up till the top of the hour, so this is great. So that that would 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 that make up then, kind of your criteria in terms of how you go to choose a book. Yeah. Let's get into yeah. it then, because this is great, okay. and the website's brilliant, by the way. I'll put links on the podcast notes later on, and on Twitter, where people can find the website and uh, and look at some of the books and choose them. So, so your criteria then, when you're setting out reviewing a book, what are you looking for? 
So I'm looking for books that are beautiful. They have beauty in them, either in their images um, or in their vocabulary and the storyline. Um, I'm looking for truthfulness. Uh, and I'm looking for books that are in some way inspiring or, you know, ideally profound, if you can find books like that. Um, yeah. And that's become difficult, has it? Finding something like that's really inspirational, something that's profound, something that's moving and it's going to make a big difference in, in the life of the reader. Definitely the books that I see around me don't have any of those things, generally speaking. Um, you'll notice that most of the books that I have on the website are older, not all of them, yeah. but uh, quite a few of them. Yeah, I was going to mention that, yeah. Right, so you're looking for something that's absolutely beautiful, so a beautiful story. Are you looking for, should there be lessons in there? Because look, I'm, I'm going to come to this because I'm 49, right? My childhood was a, I had a difficult childhood in the home, right? I, I didn't have great parents or one parent in particular. I won't go into that. But my life outside of the home was amazing. Okay, so I, I spent a lot of time in fields, in the countryside, running around, crossing streams, climbing trees, um, falling, getting up again, you know, hanging out with boys and girls. And the books I would have been reading at the time would have been a lot of books that would have, just children's books now, that would have described that sort of existence for a child. You know, books with great, I don't know, lessons in there moral lessons, practical lessons. So a lot of Enid Blyton stuff, but not just Enid Blyton. Um, you know, Jules Verne, all that sort of stuff. And is that quality of writing, I mean, you're finding it, obviously, and you're putting it on the website. Um, but, but in general, children are not being exposed to that quality of writing, right? This is a problem. Yeah, this is definitely a problem. And children want that, they still want that. And they still need that. And they get attracted to books like that look like they're going to offer that. And instead, they're getting uh, some other sort of junk food. Right. And, um, and might this be playing some part then in children's behaviour in terms of how they develop and how they um, grow up and how they mature? It definitely does that. Because like I was saying, if you understand childhood for what it is, children are constantly learning they're constantly they don't waste a single moment and they're constantly forming their view of what the world is but they're doing that also at the same time uh while forming themselves in response to the world so they're constantly looking at what is the world and what does that mean for me and that's why they like uh books about heroes or or great adventures because like you're describing because they they're looking for the space to grow into and they want to know what the limits are of the world and and and, and they're never indifferent about that. So they're constantly looking to see what that means to me and what does that, what are my limits? And so what children see in those formative years and what they're exposed to in these formative years is going to entirely define, almost entirely anyway, because, you know, there are miracles as well, uh, but will almost entirely define who they can become and who they think they can become. And so also in childhood, they learn what to love. And then by learning what to love, that's what they're going to form their ideas on in the future of what they can become. 
And so, yeah, these things are very important. Um, this is this is really, really interesting. You, you won't be surprised. Lots of messages coming through from our listeners, right? Uh, the website is searchgoodbooks.com. I'm going to have another go. It's Fodini, is that right? Amplova. Did I say it right second time? Please tell me I said it right. It'll right. do, it'll do. It'll, it'll just <laughs> about do. The stress at the end. It's Fodini. The stress is on oh, the last. Oh, excuse me. Fodini. Fodini. Fortini, yes. yeah, I'll get, I'll get it right. No, because it, it would bother me if somebody mispronounced my name. So oh. thanks. I should have rung you, actually, uh, Fortini. I should have rung you. I normally do that. But um, it's been a crazy Monday. But this is very serious. Searchgoodbooks.com. Um, looking for um, books that are going to inspire and going to transform. Not to transform, that's wrong. They're not changing the minds of children. Um, to open up the minds of children to something better exactly. and something greater. And that's what they're doing, searchgoodbooks.com. Here's the $64 million question now. I would make a guess, and I don't know. I tried to do some research today and I couldn't find any specific numbers. But I would have thought that reading books, um, so maybe a greater percentage of children would read a book, a physical book, when I was a child, as opposed to now. Has the trend been away from books or... Am I hopefully wrong? Are children still receiving and reading actual hard copies of books? It's very hard to for me to assess that, obviously. Yeah. And it's quite a big push to give children books. I personally think that nothing compares to a real book. I never uh, advertise any uh, digital books. My children don't get any. It's just not the same experience. But to what extent, you know, that's happening out I, I couldn't tell you. Yeah, fair enough. No, I didn't expect you to know that at all. It's not for you to know uh, to know that. But yeah, I just wonder about it because, well, today is, a, is an interesting day with respect to children. There's a number of stories in the press today about children and they're not great. You know, they're about how smartphones and smartphone technology are making it difficult for children to communicate and, and holding them back. But um, but but no, huge, huge subject this. Um, number of listeners, are, <laughs> sorry, go ahead. There's a lot of evidence coming out about that, that children don't learn as well using apps and sort of the digital format as they do with actual real books. I think we'll learn more about that with time. But I definitely uh, tell parents that they should get their kids interested in real books. And because of the environment, because people are, kids are so used to watching TV or watching programs that are a lot easier than reading a book, um, their brain becomes lazy and, and they might find a real book boring. But uh, I think it's it's worth persevering with that, and and if they see their parents are interested in books, then they're more likely to be. You have four of your own, and you're homeschooling them. Is that right? I I homeschool them up until the age of six or seven because I I think it's they start school too early in the UK, and then I and then they go into primary. And you're obviously keeping a pretty kind of strong hand into what it is they're reading and is that something I mean obviously the, I, I know the answer to this but you'll be scrutinising pretty closely won't you what they're reading in school and do you have to jump in from time to time and say well maybe not maybe they shouldn't be reading that Well we might quite a lot of effort to find a, a school that we're happy with uh, we commute an hour a day to get them there wow. and uh, Maybe this is a, a topic for a different uh, day for yeah. a different program. But no. we're, I'm involved in a, in a group that's trying to start a classical primary school. And so I'm hoping my children will move to that. And I've put quite a lot of effort into having that school's curriculum be based on, on excellent books. 
yeah, I'm going to mention the website again, searchgoodbooks.com. Look, I, I did my homework. You're a Christian um, lady, and um, that's fantastic. Um, there's absolutely no but here. It is fantastic. I'm agnostic myself, but I come from a, from a Catholic background. It, it's fair to say that these are interesting times for parents when there's no doubt, and I'm, I, I really don't have any kind of dog in this fight, to use that terrible phrase, because I'm not a parent. But I know that children are being asked, as time goes on, more and more to consider things that I don't think they're, that are age appropriate. I don't think they're developed enough to, to think about. You can speak about this, I, I have no doubt. I mean, this is obviously a concern for you, right? Yeah, definitely. I can speak about that if you like. Do, please, think, yeah, because it's something that comes up on this programme all the time. Yeah, I think the new sort of attitude to children, um, it's dangerous for two main reasons in my mind. Maybe more, but but two. And the one is that it's everything has ideal, become ideological. Now, whether or not, before you even start talking about whether you agree with the ideology, it's just, it's become we're starting to interfere way too much with our children in their developmental years. So they're forming ideas and in that process, we're interfering too much by, by pushing ideas, constantly pushing ideas. Um, and this isn't how healthy development of a worldview happens. It's too aggressive. And it's more of an attempt to indoctrinate our children. And this, I believe that uh, it crushes them in their development. Um, so even just that, even before you start getting into, you know, what the idea is. So I think the right way to educate children is with gentleness and, and freedom, because freedom is a part of our constitution and it's a significant part of, of who we are and how we learn and how we grow. And it's a necessary thing for us. And if we impose ourselves too much, then, yeah, we crush the child. So even if you take, you know, you mentioned I was a Christian, but even if you take, a, you know, a Christian parent with a, the best ideas that you agree with and if they're too imposing on their kid and they're saying you have to believe this you have to be virtuous in these ways they're not that child isn't going to grow up to be virtuous he's going to grow up to be problematic and i think that that's what we're seeing on a mass scale um so that's the first problem is that we're interfering far too much and then there's of course the problem of what we're injecting them with um that's unhealthy in its own way yeah should I say something about that? You, 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 I, I know you know very little about this programme other than Stuart is a mutual friend, Stuart Waiton from the Scottish Union for Education. He might be listening, even though I didn't let him know that you were coming on. Again, it was crazy today. Um, you are listening to Fotini Hamplova. I got it right that time. Um, obviously, very clever lady. Uh, this is an area of expertise for her. Um, she has a PhD in philosophy of education, but she has other credentials too. Her doctoral thesis specialised in Platonic studies, looking at how Socratic dialogue cultivates virtue in learners. Searchgoodbooks.com is very important, folks. If you have children, even if you don't, check it out. And what what, what uh, Fotini has done is she's basically, she's, she's laid out for every age group, for every year, um, choices, um, better choices, uh, books that are much better, much more interesting, much more beautiful and inspirational for children than much of what is being offered now in libraries and in schools. It's a real pleasure to have you on the programme. Yeah, you can go ahead. You were going to talk about what they're injecting into children. Yes. So 
I think the underlying problem with, you know, the, the ideas that are being pushed now is that they're sexualizing everything. And um, everything, you know, so for example, if, you know, this issue of whether bank uh, workers should have their pronouns on them. I mean, when I go to the bank, I don't want to know who this person likes to do it with or, yes. you know, I just want to pause it. Or maybe I want to interact with this person human to human, which, you know, is a very, you know, it's, it's an infinite experience. I don't want that to be limited to to sex, sex, sex. And if you look at that, how we apply that to education, this problem that we're seeing in the whole of society. Um, our education and our libraries are becoming about Black Month and, and the LGBT Month. And, you know, and so we're, we're talking to them, to our children about this guy was black or, or this guy was, was Asian or, and this guy, he liked to do it like this, or he liked to yeah. do it like that. And we're turning their mind to, to identity and sex. And there's nothing interesting about that. Nope. Whereas an education should be about, did this guy have good ideas? Did he discover something? Did he invent something great? Did he contribute to this big dialogue that is civilization in a profound way? We shouldn't be instead. What we're telling children is that the only thing we care about is sex, sex, sex and identity as if identity mattered. Um, and it, uh, your identity doesn't matter in the way that, that we're pretending it does. Um, and so, yeah, I mean. You've outlined you, the reason, sorry to interrupt you there now, and you come back and plenty of time left um, for Tani, but you, you basically outlined the reasons why, if my um, fiance and, and, my, and, and, and I, if we were blessed with a child, we would take your philosophy at least for the first few years, we wouldn't have, the child wouldn't attend a regular school because I just wouldn't want to be fighting those battles. You said something profound earlier, and I mean this, I'm not patronising you. You said it doesn't matter. The rights and the wrongs do not matter around these ideologies. It doesn't matter what's right and what's wrong, but it's not something that children should be dealing with. That's the most important thing. And you've summed it up there about tying identity and sex into everything. Um, identity politics, you know, encouraging the, the the children to think as um, as a whatever, you know, as a straight person, as a Christian. What it it's yeah, terribly, terribly um, destructive, I think, for kids. And based on that, we had decided if we ever had a child, is that we try and keep them away from that for the first few years anyway, and really just let them, you know, run free as 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 uh, as you said earlier on. That's how we've been thinking about it. Exactly. I think what we're seeing right now is a battleground for attention and for our focus, because these are critical for adults, but they're especially critical for children, for what they're going to do and who they're going to become and what their world perspective is going to be. And, um, you know, like I was saying about it, also, we're becoming a little too pushy. I mean, children, they need quiet in order to observe. And there's a kind of quietude that's natural in childhood. Um, and what we call, you know, these various passions that motivate, you know, adults or, you know, starting from, the, say, the later teenage years, um, children don't have them, don't have those yet. And they don't have them for a reason, because they need this quiet in order to observe the world and be able to get as much possible out of it. And so we're we're limiting them and we're putting this great weight on them that can only sort of crush them in a bunch of ways. And so the way this links to books is well, old books and you know, they're books from other worlds. And so through these books, you can step outside your world, which is becoming more and more limited, especially with children, 
you know, they don't go outside and play anymore. Like you said, there, everyone is on their own little digital uh, device. Our world is getting smaller. And with books, you step outside your world and you see a much bigger world. You can see a richer world. And that's what education about is about. So, so reading, at least in childhood, we should be thinking of it as an act of education. And yeah, so you step outside yourself, you see the world, and that's how you form yourself and you make yourself, you create your real identity. By turning constantly in towards yourself and just your own identity and, and having a more and more limited world around you, you end up with nothing. And then you look at your own identity by the time you're 13 or, or 20 and, you, and you'll get depression because there's nothing there. I think that the problem you've identified and that you're working on at searchgoodbooks.com, you're providing alternatives, I think it played maybe a small part. This might be a stretch now. But I did read a study, I think it was a pretty robust study, uh, over the weekend in one of the Sundays, um, that suggested that a lot of early 20-somethings are, are pining for the days of lockdown. Would you believe that? They're pining for the days when they were restricted and told where they could and where they couldn't go and when they could do things and when they couldn't do things and all the rest of that. And I think that the how books changed and the introduction of smart technology and the digital devices, I think that definitely plays some part in the kids kind of looking back whimsically at lockdown. Because I think when I was 19, if they'd imposed the lockdown on all of society, I would have been bursting at the seams to, you know, to escape it and to get out of it. But to see that in the press over the weekend, again, it seems to be a robust study that, you know, um, much, much younger adults are like, oh, the lockdown days were great. That's not good, really, is it, uh, Fortini? That's not good, that. Well, I mean, I guess in a way, all of these things add up to people have nowhere to go, really, <laughs> because yeah. the world is in a lot of ways that maybe we would agree about becoming boring, which I think, which, you know, for me, it makes good books even more important because that's, that's a way you can travel into other ways of thinking. Um, Hugely important you know, for me when I was younger, but I mean, I never, in, yeah, yeah, I never had, there was never a moment that I didn't have a book in my hand, like all the classics, Robert Louis Stevenson, everything. And then all, I read all the Ina Blyton books, even the books um, that were m meant for girls, you know, the Mallory Terror stuff, I read everything. It didn't matter. Got lost in it. You know, it fires up your imagination. It makes you more imaginative and creative. And it's just wonderfully beautiful. I think what you're doing is amazing. Do you, rem and I really do, but I wouldn't say it otherwise. Do you remember yourself, because you're considerably younger than I am. Do you remember the first book you read cover to cover that really blew your mind, that really um, changed your life, really? I don't remember what was the first book. But um, the books that I that I really remember the most were probably my later teenage years. Uh, Dostoevsky, I read. Um, wow, as a teenager. As a, yeah, you know, around seventeen. Or Check out like the big brain on uh, you. I struggled with that in my mid twenties, to be honest with you. <laughs> so uh, yeah, that's pretty impressive. And, and Ursula, uh, yeah, I don't know if you remember. Yeah, the dispossessed or something. I used to think that was great. Yeah, uh, back in the day. Life changing, really. 
Um, can I read a couple of messages that have come in from our from our listeners? Yeah. Some really interesting messages come in. Um, Kay um, finds um, Fortini fascinating. She said, Richie, I was given a copy of Little Women when I was around 10 years old. Uh, the book had been published 100 years earlier. Last week I started to read it again, transported me to a difficult world set in wartime, still a world still full of kindness, generosity and selflessness. If in doubt, parents, go back to the classics, Wind in the Willows, Black Beauty, Treasure Island, says Kay. What do you reckon to that? It's a nice message. Yeah. Definitely, I agree. A lot of those books are coming on my list. I just, I have a bit busy. I haven't put them yet. But yeah, no, I agree. Definitely. And, and there's lots lots of messages like this. Um, let me bring up another one. Uh, Neil reckons, he agrees with you, Neil. He reckons music has become the same. Little or no beauty, in Neil's opinion. He's in Colwyn Bay, which is beautiful. Uh, there's little or no beauty in the music people are being pushed to listen to where where music like books is capable of conveying such incredible emotion and inspiration. But if, if you never learn to listen to it when you're young, you'll never form the neurons to appreciate it later in life. That's from Neil. Thanks for that, Neil. Maria is in Surrey. Fascinating topic this, Richie. When my eldest was younger, I had a difficult time finding books that did not cover rape, parental death or other unsuitable topics. I had to do a lot of digging. They are out there but rarely on published lists. That's Maria from Surrey. I guess you'll agree. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, I think quite often people think they're making good art if they make something pessimistic or, or tragic, but that doesn't necessarily add up to be good art. Um, and I also agree with Neil. I would say that also nature uh, can have the same effect. Uh, we just need to get out there. We need to spend a bit more time out there. And you know, there's no excuse really you know, because even if you live in a fairly large city, which I do, I'm in Salford now, I'm a, a mile from Manchester city centre, but I'm also only four miles away from beautiful countryside. And I'm, you know, a, a half an hour's drive away from the Peak District. You're right, uh, Fortini, you're absolutely right, it's out there for you. Beauty is all around you if you bother to get off your backside, throw the tablets and the smartphones you know, into the cupboard and, and get out there and do it. I'm going to give you the last word, but I want to mention the website again because I think it's great work. I'm glad that Stuart um, let me know about what you're doing. Searchgoodbooks.com is the website. Um, we are uh, listening to Fontenay Hamplova, um, who is uh, um, has a PhD in philosophy of education. This is her area. And um, searching for books that are going to inspire and going to um, motivate and give a sense of beauty and all that's possible to children. I think it's brilliant what you're doing. I'll give you the final word, and maybe, because, um, as you said, the creation of the school, creating a classic school, I mean, I'd be, I'd be offended if you didn't come back and talk about that, if it, you know, if it comes to fruition, because that'd be fascinating. Oh, it's been brilliant speaking with you today. Uh, thank you, Richie. You also. It's been absolutely uh, brilliant, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, so I guess the last thing, um, I think the the news are good. I mean, the books are still there. There are a lot of books. There are thousands of books. I've got, you know, nearly four or 500, but it's just only the beginning. There are so many books out there. We just need to make a little effort to find them. Um, I get I get most of my books for free because people are throwing them out. They're giving them to, to um, bazaars and bazaars can't sell them. So I go and pick them up. I mean, you know, the books are there. The books are there. I read in your bio, I think, I read on the website or somewhere else, is that you're forever picking up books 
on your you know on your day to day business if if you come across a book somewhere you're picking it up and you're you're taking it with you it's um it's it's fantastic no i mean it it's a brilliant um it's i i think on programs like this we do talk a lot about how negative things are and things are difficult for people and life is becoming a bit more difficult I think for everybody. So to, to hear of solutions like this, it's great, um, Fontenay. So thanks for your time today. You're welcome back anytime. And let us know as uh, the school develops how it's going because, again, I'd love to have you back on to talk about it. Ah, thank you, Richie. That would be great. Been a pleasure. Mind yourself. <laughs> Bye for now. Thank you. That was uh, Fontenay Hamplova, who, as I said, is a PhD in philosophy of education, also got a degree in education and society and has put a website up called, called searchgoodbooks.com. Um, Fortuny and the other people, the people she works with, very concerned about the literature being made available to not just young children, but children of all ages. And that it is boring and ideological and um, um, sometimes harmful. And they're collecting books for kids, one, not one, uh, five, six, seven, eight, right up to 14, 15, 16. Searchgoodbooks.com. Do check it out. I'm going to take a tune when I come back. Uh, more of your messages. And then we'll be talking to Captain Bahij Saliba. And you don't want to miss him. It is exactly now, two minutes past the hour of five o'clock. Here's Crowded House. And this is Fall at Your Feet. Music from Crowded House, Fall at Your Feet. It is Monday's Richie Allen Show. Uh, thank you for the messages. Interesting one from Holly. Hello, Holly. Richie, do kids also need quiet to daydream and, you know, to learn, to meditate, to pray? I worry about constantly filling kids up, even with books, says Holly. It's an interesting point, Holly. I would have asked that of uh, Fortini. I, I, I don't know. My, my own personal experience was I did nothing but read apart from when I was outside, obviously. But I read, and I found it very therapeutic. I got lost in these adventure stories, you know. Um, kidnapped and 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. and every, You know, a lot of books by authors whose names I can't remember, but adventure books, and it was, it was very important for me. Very relaxing, even today. You know, even today. I didn't this weekend. I had a mad weekend going to watch sport and what have you. But, but most weekends, I'll find the time to sit down and put a little bit of um, little bit of uh, folk music on the turntable, and then open a new book, and just and nothing is more relaxing for me. But I, I get you. Maybe you can fill kids' heads up too much. I, I get that as well. Uh, thank you to Dave. I appreciate that, Dave. Mick has been in touch. Who says he says lockdown fondness, Richie? Bang right, uh, like prisoners in jail. You know, you have safety there. Some prisoners have safety. Everything is done for you. No responsibility. Repeat offenders feel safe and secure in prisons as they become prisoners of the state. Yes, in Stephen King's Shawshank Redemption, a King characterised it as becoming institutionalised, didn't he, Mick? It's a very good point, that. Yes. Messages to richieallen.co.uk. Diane. Hello, Diane. First book was Wind in the Willows. Kenneth Graham. What a fantastic read. Uh, read it to Gareth too, says Diane. Brilliant. Chris says, the few children I know are more interested in screens than books. It's sad, but you don't see kids riding around in groups on their bikes anymore. We were always out playing when we were kids. I loved a good book as a nipper. I used to get walloped by my dad for reading under the covers with a torch after lights out. 
brilliant memory. We've all done that. Faisal says the 70s and 80s media propaganda about gang culture demonised any group of kids hanging out even just to play football in the street or chat. I got most of my information about the world that way when I was a kid. That's right, Faisal, I agree. And for better or for worse, we we often were given a lot of misinformation <laughs> by, uh, by our street chums, weren't we? God, we were told some 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 awful stuff. Anyway, it is time for me to welcome our next guest to the programme. And um, I'm going to just dial him up now. And while I dial him up, I'm going to tell you about him, is what I'm going to do. But before I say hello to him, I'm going to read you this story again from the Washington Times. This is from the Washington Times now, and it was published on December 6th. Listen. A pair of Senate Republicans filed legislation that would reinstate airline pilots who were fired for refusing to take the COVID-19 vaccine. Many airlines impose vaccine requirements on their pilots and staff while the virus and its fast-moving variants dogged the skies, notably in 2021. Also, President Biden issued a vaccine requirement on federal contractors which included many US airlines. The bill by Senators Mike Braun of Indiana and Roger Marshall of Kansas would require the Federal Aviation Administration within 30 days of enactment to take such actions as are necessary to compel airlines to rehire any pilot ousted for violating the vaccine mandate. Now that story appeared, dear listener, in December. There hasn't, at least as far as I know, I could be wrong, there hasn't been any movement on this bill yet. It's only early February now. But if the bill became law, within 30 days, airlines who had fired pilots would be compelled to rehire them if they were fired for not having a jab. Now my guess this hour is a terrifically experienced pilot, um, both airliners and helicopters. Uh, he's an instructor these days. Would you believe he was kicked off a plane by the airport police in Spokane in Washington because he refused to wear a facial mask while on duty? Now, he's taken legal action against that. He's got a website, he's got a Twitter account. We'll tell you all about those. Um, and he also knew uh, a pilot, God love him, who succumbed and took a jab, a Johnson & Johnson jab. He did it to keep his job, and I believe he died within 17 days of taking that jab. Let's welcome to the programme Captain Bahij Saliba. Bahij, welcome to the programme. How are you? Good uh, Good evening, uh, Richie. I'm, I'm happy to uh, be speaking to you tonight. It's a pleasure, my friend. It's lovely to have you on. You're very welcome here to this parish. Now, I mentioned this news story from the Washington Times the joint bill proposed by the two senators that would force the airlines to rehire anybody they fired um, back during the mandates. Now, are you aware of this bill, this proposed legislation? And is it something to be optimistic about before we get into talking about your own story? It sounds good, this bill. What do you reckon? I have heard of the bill, but I believe there's opposition and I don't think it's going to pass in that and that and the way it's written i don't believe they're going to be able to force airlines to rehire pilots that they terminated for their refusal to take the jab yeah and and that is uh that is really a sad day because 
it would be a sad day because uh, congressmen are lawmakers, and uh, what what Congress actually has passed a long time ago, back in 1958, something called the Federal Aviation Act of 1958, which is an act of Congress. And in it, uh, safety was mentioned 47 times. And uh, the, the act created the FAA. And I'll, I'd, I'd love to get into that as well. No, this, um, is, this is hugely important because it's very relevant to your own case. So, of course, because the act should have protected these pilots from losing their jobs. You know, they, they were covered by the, the legislation and the act. And you must think to yourself, when these two senators, you know, propose a bill, you could be forgiven, Bahij, for wondering, where were these senators? Where was Congress when these illegal mandates were being forced on pilots and on federal employees? I mean, when you think back, what was, was, was there any support for pilots amongst congressmen and women or senators, or were they very quiet at the time? They were very quiet. And it's the, 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 the relationship uh, between Congress and, and the industry is very slow to move. So uh, they could have, I suppose, voiced their opposition to what was going on, but none of them did. No, they didn't. And, and, that's, and that's really a, a sad day, too. Uh, I early on, let me, let me, let me real, real quick qualify, uh, who I am and, and what I'm saying is, 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 uh, carries weight. Uh, I've been flying since 1984, almost 40 years now, over 20,000 hours of flying, uh, flew all the diff few different uh, types of jets, uh, fly helicopters. I'm an instructor. I've been an instructor since, uh, well, about a year after I started flying, so since 1985. And uh, what I have learned recently with this, what I like to call the announced pandemic, is that pilots are very good at keeping safe. They operate aircraft very well. They're trained and, and, and uh, they want to go from point A to point B safely. Overall, they take care of their health and are well rested for the, for the job. However, I discovered that they are very weak in the area of law, aviation law. And this became my focus very early in 2020 and later on in 2021, where I uh, gathered a lot of information so I was able to find my lawsuits against the airline. And that would be American Airlines. That's, I'm, a, I'm a captain for American Airlines uh, at the moment. And um, this is the area where I've, that I focused on, and I've been trying to educate pilots about the law. And uh, it's very hard because the stick is very big. The airline's threat and coercion uh, is massive. Uh, if any pilot speaks up, the punishment is severe. And, and, and this is something that we have to reckon with and, and uh, acknowledge and to come out of this intact as an airline industry. And so that in the future, pilots cannot be... Um coerced or, or blackmailed into taking a medical procedure that could harm them and impair them. Um, and, and that's hugely important. We, we've plenty of time. We've got to just before the top of the hour to get into this, and I'm really fascinated by it. Do you remember what was going on in March of 2020 when the lockdown 
was declared pretty much worldwide. Well, I think it was pretty much the same time in the US and they, they grounded flights immediately. It must have been pretty shocking for you, Bahij. There you are, an American Airlines captain. You know, you've got your job, you, you love your job, um, you look forward to it, and all of a sudden they say, right, we're stopping it. It must have come as quite a shock to you at the time if you think back to 2020. It was, it was. And, and uh, Richie, uh, coming from where I, where I came from to, to, to America, I am very familiar with uh, what people refer to as uh, conspiracy theories. Right. But I could very well, very clearly uh, see a psychological operation unfold bef- before us. And, and uh, the first sign of such an operation was when the airlines started talking about masking of pilots and passengers and flight attendants. I'm like, oh, no, this is beginning. This is not good. First of all, masking of pilots, flight attendants, and passengers is not safe in an aircraft because uh, for various reasons, uh, mainly uh, when you're traveling at, at uh, 39,000 feet and your cabin pressure is at 7,500 feet, you are not breathing as you, as you would be at sea level or 1,000 feet above sea level. So your, your, your bodily functions are not receiving enough oxygen, if you will, and uh, there's something called the time of useful consciousness. Uh, and for flight attendants to react to a, a decompression, rapid decompression, or any emergency, their time of useful consciousness is would be cut in half in a rapid decompression. We're talking about 15 to 30 seconds. Now, you add to that the fact that they are restricting their breathing, that's even further reduction in the time of useful consciousness. So safety was not considered at all by the airlines. All they were concerned with is how do we get the people back on the airplanes. That's amazing now. So they introduce a mask mandate and pilots, presumably you were not the only pilot. Pilots would have raised the red flag and said, hang on a second, this is not going to fly, no pun intended. But if there's an emergency, if there is immediate uh, decompression of the cabin, it's not going to be good for us to have the face mask on. And you're telling me that the airlines just ignored this, they overlooked it? Yes, they, they overlooked it. As a matter of fact, uh, those were policies that the airlines initially instituted themselves. And then later, the administration came out and said, uh, through the TSA, the Transportation Security Administration, they came out and said, well, masks are going to be required for travel. Now, uh, there is a law that says that the TSA, one agency cannot override the jurisdiction of another. In other words, the TSA cannot supersede the FAA's rules and regulations. And the FAA did not regulate masking for a very simple reason, because, <clears throat> excuse me, if they did, then they would have to re-demonstrate evacuations, operations at altitude, training for crew members, because this is a new variable. The mask is a new variable. So everything that is on the books at the moment from, from tables that, 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 uh, uh, that lay out the time of useful consciousness, like I, like I was saying, to the evacuation egress, to uh, 
you you name it, everything that's that's been on the books will, becomes invalid, right? Absolutely. Unless they run a demonstration of every action, which might lead to redesign of aircraft. Because if somebody is trying to uh, escape a fire on an aircraft, and, and, and incidentally, we, we just had one in uh, Japan, right? That's right. Where it took them 18 minutes, I think, to evacuate the aircraft. And there were people uh, from the images that I, that I saw uh, with masks on. How many people were concerned with keeping that mask on their face? I did see one individual holding the mask when he should be free in his hand to find his way out of the aircraft. So, so there are variables that were not considered uh, by the airlines and the FAA did not want to get into that because it could lead to redesign of aircraft. It's amazing it to me. To, uh, it, and what about pilots' unions? Was there any question, was there any flags being raised by, by your unions at all, Bahij? The pilot union, my pilot union, the Allied Pilots Association, was on board with the airline. They actually refused to present a defense in, in one of my disciplinary hearings. Uh, for for not wearing a mask, uh, in which I, I laid out the law. I said, this is the law, and the law supports that I make the decision, uh, make health decisions that directly affect my FAA medical certification standards. You see, this is and very worrying. Refused. This is very worrying to me. And you're explaining this to me now, and I've seen this happen in other sectors. The law is simply something to be ignored, isn't it? I mean, something that yes. should protect you and should immediately lead to the cessation of the airlines. They should say, OK, um, you're right, the law is the law. But but increasingly, as time goes on, in a variety of, of areas of policy, um, those in charge can just ignore laws that have been on the statute books for years. That's a terrifying thing, really, when you think about it, isn't it? That That is, that is correct. And what they do is they... I made a post on on uh, Twitter or X where I where I stated that what the lawyers are really telling the airline is go ahead and violate the law because we know that nobody is going to challenge your actions and the unions have the union lawyers have done the same thing told the union go ahead and operate the way you want to operate because a duty of fair representation lawsuit against the union is very hard to win so they were operating or violating the law with impunity and very, very few would stand up and uh, jeopardize their, their livelihood. The, the, I mean, uh, becoming an airline pilot is something that uh, pilots work on for years. It's and expensive. Once you get to a major airline, yes, it yeah. is expensive. And, and once you get to a major airline, you will avoid doing anything that would jeopardize that, that job. And, and they know uh, this. They know this, of course. Yeah. Oh, yeah. they know it. They know it. But 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 the thing is, uh, the problem that I see today is that airlines are, are being run by the human resources department. And that is really not what the law was intended in aviation. It was intended to be like a flight department was intended to be run by professional pilots who knew what safety is all about. It's not intended to be run by human resources who are only interested in advancing certain projects that the airlines have, such as diversity, equity, and inclusion, which is My God. devastating. May it's I, going to be devastating may I for, ask the, you, uh, Bahish, for the airlines. May I yes. ask you, so this this move then to where human resources now are making 
decisions and taking actions that would have been left to pilots and even retired pilots, but maybe managers who who flew planes. Now it's been run by HR. Is that putting passengers at risk then? Is that a direct risk to the safety of passengers flying? It, it absolutely is. For example, I was just talking to a captain friend of mine uh, last night, and I had not talked to him in a while. Uh, he was telling me that uh, the company has put him on administrative leave for bringing to the attention of a dispatcher. He was not working the flight. He was going to deadhead on the on the flight. In other words, he was riding as a passenger coming back home. And looking out the window at the airport, he saw a massive weather and he just by chance happened to be looking at the dispatch release and he saw that the route, the, the route that this dispatcher planned the flight for uh, was going through that weather. So he just picked up the phone and called the dispatcher to inform him, hey, you know, I just noticed that you're, the route is going through some uh, hazardous weather. And they put him on administrative leave to investigate why he did that. But hang on a second, that, then, that sounds like something to me that pilots would have been doing since the Wright brothers first took a plane into the sky. That sounds absolutely. like a pretty reasonable thing to do to me. Uh, absolutely. So what they're claiming is that he interfered with the control of the dispatch when I think that's the right thing to do. I mean, if you see an airplane that has been, uh, that, that's leaking oil or leaking fuel, would you not of inform the maintenance department? Even yeah. if it's not your flight, would you not tell them about it? Of course it? you would. You try and get word you know to the mean? captain of that plane as well. You'd do everything Absolutely. you could, wouldn't you? So he sees the terrible Absolutely. weather system. He knows it could be problematic for the flight. It might not be, but it might be. And he says, look, you know, maybe you might want to deviate and they put him on administrative leave. That's right. So now he tells me last night, I'm never going to do that again. So that's the intent. The intent is you don't want leaders. What you want is followers. You yeah. want order. You have blown followers. me away. I've got a couple of more questions about other, and we've got loads of time. We've got another 25, um, at least 25 to 30 minutes. You're listening to the, again, I've got to say this because he is vastly experienced pilot, 20,000 hours, an American Airlines captain. He's flown helicopters as well. And um, we've, we've been talking about the airline's attitude in uh, the, the the pandemic, the the attempts to coerce pilots to take you know to take risks with their own health and to do things which could compromise not only the health of the pilots but compromise the safety of the passengers in those planes even though the law is specific that the pilot gets the last word he or she the captain is in control but that's not what happened and we'll talk to uh, Bahij in a moment about his own um, awful incident at Spokane Airport, which I, I must have been very embarrassing for a man, you know, as an honourable man like yourself who'd been a captain for so many years. But you said something a moment ago, Bahij, and it scared the living bejesus out of me. You said to us, and I, I made a note of it so we, we could come back to it, that um, even though I've been on many planes over the years, I've flown many times, You've said that whether we... No, you didn't say it like this, but it sounded to me like passengers on airplanes are... Their breathing isn't... Our breathing... We'd, we're not breathing as well or the quality of breathing isn't as good when we're in the air. 
Now, nobody ever said that to me before. So if I fly to, uh, my, my missus is French, right? If we fly to Paris tomorrow, are you telling me that du- for the duration of that flight, my O2 quality is not as healthy as it otherwise would be? With, with the mask on is what I was referring oh, to. Oh, with the mask on, not in general. All right, thank God for that. No, so that answered with, with that, the yeah. mask on. Right. Yeah. But what, what, what actually does happen, though, is uh, if you are accustomed to sea level living and you are flying uh, in an aircraft, it's taking you up to 7,500 feet, yeah. which normally, even under normal conditions, if you go hiking, for example, uh, at that elevation, you're, you're going to be out of breath. It's not easy on on your yeah. on your breathing apparatus. So you really you really, to begin with you have that. That's that's just a natural uh, uh, phenomenon. And, and then and then you throw in the mask on top of that, and and that's where the danger uh, begins. That that has not been addressed by the airlines. No, Cap- during during the uh, they haven't addressed the it. No, they didn't. No, so. no. <laughs> Captain Bahish Saliba is our guest. Um, so much to get into with him. Twenty eight minutes. It is past the hour. Your own experience is pretty awful. I mean, you sound like a pretty together man. You sound like you know. I I, I suppose pilots have to be kind of unflappable. You know, you've got to be able to deal with all types of situations, and I don't mean necessarily flight situations but you've got to deal with passengers from time to time you know you've got to deal with crew so you're a, I imagine you're pretty much of a diplomat how did it feel when you were told in December of 2021 that if you didn't wear a mask you'd be taken off the airline I mean that's a pretty hostile situation T- tell us a little bit about that how it went down it, it was and it was a moment of truth you either stand up for what is right or you cower and give in to somebody who is dressed in a different uniform it's no different no different than myself i was in uniform and the police were in uniform so who has the authority and the authority was all mine and i just stood on my authority and i said no way so you do whatever you need to do but there's no way I'm going to put a mask on because I am on duty and my passengers come first. I don't care what you do. It doesn't matter. So it was a moment of uh, courage, I would, I would say. It, well, it does was, take yeah. courage to actually stand up and, 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 and face uh, the adversity. I think you Absolutely. showed amazing courage. And one of the reasons I say this is because, and I might get accused now of being, um, of... Uh, showing some prejudice or showing some anti-Americanism, but I don't have any anti-Americanism. I, I've had a few experiences in the States. I've met American police officers and they can be unfriendly and they can be very quick to violence in some cases. They can be very quick to move, to start pushing people around. You know, something you don't see as often in the UK and you don't see as often in Ireland. Maybe it's changing now, but they can be. They can be very intimidating, right? That, yeah, they can be very intimidating. And that was a very tense moment, as a matter of fact. But once you get past that initial um, shock, if you will, uh, it, you become numb. And no matter what they say, no matter what they do, it's immaterial. They just don't exist in your world anymore. And that's exactly what how it was for me. So I was ready to just walk out of the airport and say, you know what? I guess the flight is not going to go. Yeah. And they did back down. They allowed me to continue, 
but then they immediately notified the company about the incident, which then the company took action, adverse action against me. And and uh, since that day, I have not flown for, for the airline and because is, of that. And this is horrible because the law supported you. You had the legislation. You are in charge. You get the final decision on all matters relating to your own health because you are all that lies between you're all that stands between those passengers having a lovely flight across the country or plunging into the Atlantic Ocean you're the only thing standing in the way you the captain I know you've got a first officer as well and maybe you've got um, a third pilot but you're the man so you have to make these decisions and yet they put you on administrative leave wow that's that's correct, and and not only that, but during the hearing, they actually uh, told me that the reason we want you to put the mask on is to bring the people back. You're the leader. We want you uh, to show people that you are wearing a mask. We want them to do it. We did, want the agents to do it. We want the flight attendants to do it. You're the leader. Did so you, my response to that was, wait a minute. So I have a right. medical standard to ha- that I have to meet. You're telling me that I'm going to be the salesman for this job? No way. No way. You answered, I, you answered I, my I, next question, Bahish, because my next question yeah. was, obviously the airlines took a big financial hit during lockdown. And my next question right. would be, did you have a tiny little bit of sympathy with the airlines where you're like, I understand what you're trying to do. You want people, you want bums on seats and you want to get some money into the company. But um, no, your health and the safety of your passengers is far more important than marketing to get people back into the seats. So I totally get that, yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. As a matter of fact, I, I they, the, the, the management uh, type person who came to uh, conduct the disciplinary hearing was asked, telling me that, hey, you have an obligation to American Airlines. And I said, no, I don't. My only obligation is to my passengers. Several times went back and forth and, and I made it clear to them that, no, I only have an obligation to my passengers, not, not, the, uh, not the corporation, because I'm not here in the business of making money. I'm here in the business of transporting people safely from point A to point B, just like you stated. And you spent so, you spent a personal fortune gaining your qualifications, your credentials. You, you, oh, absolutely. You're flying for a very prestigious airline. We all know the American Airlines pl- planes, the silver planes with the red and blue stripes. We know them. I travelled on American Airlines myself. I had a very pleasant experience, it must be said, flying to um, JFK from London. Loved it. And, and then you have to deal with this which must have been terrible for you, you know, because we all need, uh, sadly, money is the oxygen of society. We need money to put food on the table, to pay our bills. It must have been bloody stressful for you, Bahij. Oh, it is. It is. I'm, 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 luckily, I'm in a position where I can weather the storm. And, and uh, for me, it was more important to uh, ride the ship, if you will, after learning that my former co-pilot uh, perished after taking the J&J under, under the, the threat of termination. I mean, within 17 days, uh, right after the shot, the person dies, it's, it's because of the shot. There's no question about it. So when I learned about that, and this, is, and this is where the airline put a target on me. Uh, you know, like you said, in the beginning, I was playing the game. I was like, okay, we need to bring the airline back to speed. And and I'll do what they want me to do, just to bring people back. Let's let's do it, okay? We need to survive, right? So I'm I'm aware of that. I'm not, I'm a company man. I'm not a 
I'm not a you're not a maverick. Be, you're not a maverick. Yeah. 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 Right. So, but then it got to the point where, oh wait a minute, this is there's something more uh, than that. It's not only bringing the business back to, up to speed. There's there's more. And then now the jabs are coming. They they got people to uh, comply with the mask. Now the jabs started rolling out, and now they're getting pilots to comply with the jab. And I saw the threat, uh, as illustrated by the death of my former co-pilot. I I, I remember him as a teddy bear when he was he was really good man, you know, when I worked with him. And uh, it's horrible to leave a widow and yeah. two girls behind at a young age. And uh, I thought, this is it. This is the, the moment. So what happened at that time was that some pilots were uh, – fear is amazing. It makes you do, I would say, stupid things, if you will. Uh, but because of the fear that was – perpetuated by the media, flashing images of people on gurneys dying in refrigerators in New York, you know, and so forth. I'm like, that's all propaganda. There's no way. This thing, you can recover from it. You have 99.8% recovery. Yeah. And if you're healthy, it won't even bother you. You won't even feel it. Can, can I ask you that's this? Right. Can I ask you this? You At the very top of the interview, you said that because of your background, because of where you came from, you right. recognize tyranny very quickly. Do you mind me asking, where did you come from? Where had you lived previously, where you saw the tyranny? Well, I was I was I was born in the Lebanon. Right. So I grew up I grew up in Beirut, um, and left in 1984. So I saw uh, the conspiracy theories play out. I saw the wars, and uh, unfortunately, uh, the perpetrators of those of that war are here in the United States today. Of course they are. They are the same they are the same perpetrators of evil everywhere. And and uh, 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 it, it was it, I think I think I was meant to arrive at this moment in time to do what I'm doing today. And um, it is a special mission that I really cherish and I'm 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 thriving to tell you to tell you the truth. And becoming somewhat of a uh, an attorney myself. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, this, the I, law. I read this. Yeah, pilot yeah. pilotgateway.com is uh, a right. website our listeners should check out. Pilotgateway.com. Yes, yeah, so you've basically done the bones of a law degree, haven't you, in the last two or three years? Because you know nobody wants to represent you. You have no help whatsoever. So you've got to go and do it yourself and take on uh, the big corporation, which is. Daunting. It's daunting for many people, I think. But um, there's no stopping you, Bahij. I don't think. No, no, there isn't. And I had I had experienced uh, uh, law practice uh, back in nine, in 2001, right? Po- you know, post September 11. At the time, this airline, American Airlines, was America West Airlines, and that's where I started. And uh, right after September 11, the airline removed me from flying to conduct a background check on me, thinking that I am one of those terrorists who was going to fly an airplane into a building somewhere. So, You're kidding uh, me. That uh, is no, disgusting. Absolutely. Yeah, it, it really is. And uh, I have a wonderful wife, uh, wonderful Irish wife. She's Irish. She's from Limerick. Fantastic. And uh, she's one hell of a fighter and backing me a thousand percent. So 
in those days, uh, I kind of kept it secret from her. And then uh, when everything cleared, there was nothing. There was nothing. I'd been working for the company for five years. I mean, yeah. nothing was, was right. Were when you tempted? Now, it, she went through the roof. I, I can only imagine. the. What, what's your wife's name? Do you mind me asking? Tracy. Tracy, if she happens to be listening, Tracy Limerick. Well, she's she's my sister, obviously. Um, monster woman. She's a monster woman, of course. Of course, yes, she of, of course, she backed you. Did, were, were you tempted after they did this to you because of your, um, because of your background, because of your ethnicity? So they ground you while they look at you. Were you tempted afterwards to stick your fingers up at them and go work for another airline, or or, or why did you stay? Well, actually, you know, uh, it's. It's it's interesting you ask because at that time, you know, with, with, once you get to a major airline, you, you kind of stop oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, keeping track of your flying time in your logbook because the airline does that, right? So I thought, you know what, I'm just leaving the states. I'm just going to go fly for Ryanair, and I started and I started uh, uh, updating my logbook, and then I it got too much, and I said, ah, forget about it. I'm just going to fight, and uh, it took three years in which I filed my own lawsuit because at the time, nobody would take the lawsuit either. I mean, the environment was not conducive to a lawyer standing up for uh, somebody from the Middle East right after September 11. So no. uh, the, the although the government found that uh, the Equal Employment Opportunity found, Commission found that the airline discriminated against me based on my national origin, no lawyers would take it. They wouldn't take it. They would not sue the airline. So I filed a lawsuit myself and we settled out of court basically amicably really uh well that's and, uh, that's brilliant just, just, and, and then you could go back to work which, yeah which, and i was yeah. i was back to work no no problem but and then this happened and th but this is way larger than what happened uh to me back then because there are people that are that have died yeah and and uh, people who i know who have died and it's really important to set the record straight. And the way I approached it was I started asking questions. For example, the airline and the pilot union in March of 2025, uh, 2025 uh, 2021, they uh, signed an agreement, a letter of agreement to pay pilots for taking the shots. Jesus. They paid them handsomely. We're talking about thousands of dollars to take the shot. Now, I'm sure you heard stories about, you know, pe people being offered a can of beer or a meal or whatever to take yeah, the shot. I mean, yeah. you've heard the stories about yeah. that, right? Well, pilots were getting thousands of dollars to take the shot. Now, one thing for certain is that the union, the pilot union, was acting outside their statutory authority to negotiate payment for the shot because now we're talking about a public policy a medical a pilot medical certification is a public policy that emanates from the federal aviation act of 1958 which i mentioned earlier that created the faa which makes law and aviation law and the medical certification is law so for the pilot union to negotiate contract terms that invade public policy they were operating outside their statutory authority in that, in, at, that, at that time. So they were encouraging pilots to go take the jabs, bribing them with money on that one side. On the other side, the airline was threatening them with termination if they don't take it. So what, what do you do if you have a family? 
mortgages. Kids in college. Right? Yeah. What it's exactly what do you do? You give in. You just it's easier to give in than it is to fight. And your friend, so, God God have mercy on your friend. Your friend probably didn't want it, as you said, didn't need it, young man. And then seventeen right. days later he's uh, right. his there's, wife is left picking up the pieces. That's right. And now there's another pilot. His name is Bob Snow. He's an American Airlines pilot too, who uh, didn't want to take it either. But he took the J and J, and I don't know if you heard about him. He landed in from uh, from Denver to Dallas Fort Worth. Landed a plane full of people, 200 people. Six minutes later, he was at the gate. Set the parking brakes. The FO first officer went to the lab. The captain keeled over and had a stroke. Yeah. He was lucky because passengers saw him and they called for help. He was encoded three times and now he walks around with a implanted defibrillator. And he credits all that to the J and J shot because he was forced to take it. So so in twenty twenty one I initiated a uh, inquiry with the senior vice president of flight. Ask him how can American Airlines accept for, for compliance with their demand, how can they accept the J&J when the FAA paused the J&J shot April 19, 2021? 24 days after they signed the agreement with the union, the FAA paused the J&J because of blood clotting. So when I asked that question, I think if I were in that office, I think he would have been like a deer in headlights. Well, you threw a grenade in there, you see. I mean, that's... Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So so now every pilot who took the J&J during that time, while it was paused, holds an invalid medical certificate. It's illegal. Uh, but yet, they are still operating for the airline. And with that in their system, and it never really yes. goes away... Those pilots, innocent men now and women, we're talking about innocent men and women, but they could have a medical emergency mid-flight, right? It's very possible. That's right. And this right. is why it's vital that your um, your case succeeds. It's vital on so many levels. It's vital um, for justice for your friend, God rest him, um, for justice for him and others who are injured by these jabs, but also for the safety of everybody who buys a plane ticket. It's massively Absolutely. important, this. Huge. Absolutely. So, so, so on that day, basically, they put a target on my back, and they found an an incident or an event that they could use to target me, retaliate against me. And later on, uh, and I listened to uh, Captain Hanley's interview, and and it's horrible what happened to him uh, back when with United Airlines. But they were trying to do the same thing to me by demanding a fitness for duty examination. Basically, they wanted me to go to a shrink because I was asking too many questions, yeah. too many safety questions. And their shrink could 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 write you off as being um, as being a nut job. Um, that's and, right, and that's it. And then, yeah, the retaliation that, that, is sickening, isn't it? Rather than it, you know, it's it's so much cheaper, really, in the long term. I mean, when you win, and please God, you will win. It'll have cost them so much money. When when the right thing to do is always the most cost-effective thing to do. The right thing to do is to say, um, uh, Captain Saliba is right. Um, we've got to make this right. We've got to stop doing this. 
return um, decision-making priority to the pilot and make restitution with people uh, financially where we can and move forward. That's what they should do, but they don't do. They try to destroy more people's lives. They're putting pilots in the air today that are at risk. And can I just say this, by I've had a number of emails from people um, asking yes. this question, this very question um, about... Um, let me just go down because there's one very good example of it. It's from Alexandra. Richie, can you ask Bahij if he noticed or if he has noticed that there are more heart issues? Um, you know, where is he hearing about more problems experienced by pilots after the introduction of the jab? So, of course, you'll be travelling through the airports of the world in the United States. You'll know many pilots from many airlines and, of course, crew... Do you hear on the grapevine, are there more incidents of people becoming unwell? Not just pilots now, but even passengers in the cabins since the introduction of the jabs? Well, I can tell you that I'm not keeping track of who's suffering or who has been injured, but there is someone who is. And he has informed me that he knows of at least 200 pilots who approached him to, 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 for guidance, uh, uh, to find help in, in recovering from what they're suffering from. So, and he knows of two pilots who are actually having symptoms when they go to work, but they still keep going to work. Now, uh, there are flight attendants who have died suddenly in their hotel rooms. Now, they don't tell you about this. They don't, they don't bring it out in the mainstream media because it would send shockwaves. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, the short answer is yes, there are pilots who have been harmed. There are flight attendants who have been harmed. I don't know about passengers, but because uh, I have not been flying since uh, December of 21. So I don't know what's going on, on you know, what's going on online, uh, how many diversions we're having for medical uh, issues with passengers. Uh, but I, th- I think it's happening, but the cover up is very very good very thorough probably and yeah and you know what i i'd love cuz cuz we hear we hear joe rogan is a very big celebrity very big name and he's very right. interested in this area and i sent an email to his producer to say look you won't know who i am i do a radio show in england but why doesn't he use his fame to put in a foi request a freedom of information request to the airlines to ask them um, about, you know, diversions, as you described there, Bahij, diversions because of passenger illness or because maybe the co-pilot or the pilot became ill. I'd love to see the response from the airlines since 2020 because I'm guessing there's going to be a smoking gun there somewhere, I reckon. There is, and eventually it's going to come out. But uh, we have to be careful because we don't want to destroy the airline industry either. So, of course, um, so many people depend on it. Yeah, it has to, yeah, it has to be done in a fashion that uh, contains the damage and keeps the airlines going because it is vital for the economy. It's vital for the future because we don't want to prevent people from traveling like some some institutions are trying to do, namely the World Economic Forum. That's Uh, right. Based on climate change, let's close down. Based on climate. Well, yeah, I was yeah. going to ask you two things. So we've literally got two minutes left on this today. Pilot, okay. Pilotgateway.com is where you'll read more about Captain Bahij Saliba, who you've been listening to 
um, for the last 40 or 45 minutes. That's where you'll find out more about the case. He is on Twitter. Please follow him there. It's at Capt, C-A-P-T, Saliba, S-A-L-I-B-A. I will put links in the podcast notes to a captain's sleep. So yeah, I was going to bring up the whole climate change. They're trying to destroy the industry anyway. Look, I'll ask you this. You can give, you you answer this in any way that you like, right? Um, geoengineering has come up on this programme many times over the years. And I've spoken to uh, people, some academics, some pilots, who believe that some aircraft, not, not necessarily commercial aircraft, have been pumping heavy metals into the ionosphere um, over the years. Is that something you've ever come across? Um, have you heard about it? And if so, what are your thoughts? I have not come across uh, any aircraft that I could see that, that are uh, that is retrofitted to do that job. But that's no secret. They, they've been doing that for years. Um, I hear in the Middle East, like in Saudi Arabia, they do that to... to uh, create rainfall for so for seed, seeding the clouds, cloud yeah. seeding, yeah, seeding that the goes clouds. On, yeah. yeah, cloud seeding. So it's not. I don't think it is a conspiracy. I think it is fact. The question is how, uh, what, what scale? On what scale are they doing that, and for what purpose? That's a and fair, then there a fair are, answer. Uh, yeah, and then there are there are legal questions, which is an area that I'm 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 focused on legal. Right now, so if you cloud seed over California, are you stealing the moisture from the air for Arizona? Are you stealing Arizona's water that would naturally uh, build up over Arizona instead of over California? You see, so wow. there's there's a and we That's know there very, are conventions for rivers and and, yeah. and uh, between countries and what have you. So this should be no different. But whether they're using it for that purpose or for other devious um, purposes, I don't know. I, I, I would have to say with everything that we see nowadays, uh, you could believe almost anything. Nothing would surprise you. If, but, but you nothing have, would surprise me. If you, yeah. if you thoughtfully research the subject, uh, you would find out that, yeah, they're doing it. And, and uh, we just have to know what the motive is. In other words, we really have to identify the enemy of humanity. That's that's the bottom line. Yeah, listeners are screaming at me for not for not saying chemtrails. You should say chemtrails, Richie. That's what some people refer. Yeah, people say chemtrails. Bahija, I tell you, it was um, it was an honor and a pleasure to meet you today. And um, thanks for sharing your story and telling us about your, I think, hugely important case. Uh, which people can find at pilotgateway.com. As I said, Bahij is on Twitter, C-A-P-T Saliba, at C-A-P-T Saliba on Twitter. But again, the links will be on the podcast notes and the podcast will be online in around about 35 minutes. Of course, I'm going to give you the last word because we've got 40 seconds left. But um, just thanks for coming on and um, well done you and more power to you. Thank you, Richie. Thanks for having me on. I'll be in Ireland in August. Uh, with the wife, she's she's going next month, and uh, I'll be uh, and coming back, and then we'll be back to Ireland to visit. We haven't been there in a few years, so I'm looking forward to that. What I want to tell any pilot listening to this uh, to this podcast to pay attention to your legal obligations and know for certain that you are the only person who can make health decisions that directly affect your medical certification, whether you are in the United States or 
in an Ikea state anywhere in the world, don't let anybody inject you or force you to take any medication of any sort and then compel you to operate aircraft and make declarations that you are fit for duty when they are not truthful because there is no informed consent under coercion and threat of termination. Absolutely, there is no informed consent. Brilliant to speak with is, you today. Yeah, that is informed consent is the foundation, the bedrock for medical certification under the FAA rules and regulations. You really have to have informed consent and a discussion with your what's called an aeromedical examiner, AME, to understand, to evaluate whether the drug you're going to take has what effects it has, what interactions it has with other medications that you may be on. You don't just drive into a pharmacy and take a shot just like that. That is a violation of the intent and the purpose of FAA medical certification of pilots. Bahish, when there's movement on the case, you'll come back, won't you, and stay in touch with us. Please do that. Uh, Absolutely, I will. Well, thanks. I'm hoping, there will be, uh, I'm hoping there will be some movement soon. Well, please God, right? And we're bang up on time now. So do say hello to your lovely wife, Tracy from Limerick. Thanks again for your time today. And Godspeed to you in your efforts in court. Uh, Captain Bahish Saliba, nice to meet you. Speak again soon. Bye for now. Same here, Richie. Thank you. Have a good evening. You're welcome. Thank you. Captain Bahij Saliba, live on Monday's Richie Allen Show. Uh, thanks to him. Uh, also, a huge thanks to Fotini Hamplova uh, talking to us earlier about searchgoodbooks.com. Thank you for your messages. I really appreciate them. I'm going to get out now and wrap this up into a podcast, which will be online soon. The Papers podcast will be on, uh, will be available to download tomorrow morning. And I'm back with you with the Richie Allen Show live tomorrow at four o'clock UK time. It's been uh, interesting today to say the least hasn't it I think it has in any case okay closing out with this from the boss Springsteen Bruce the boss Springsteen who's in the UK this summer and I'll be there I can't wait speak soon then bye now